on the 23rd day of the month of September, in an early year of a decade not too long before our own, the human race suddenly encountered a deadly threat to its very existence, and this terrifying enemy surfaced, as such enemies often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to another exciting and fun episode of The Fear of God, where we explore the horrific and the holy. We explore all things in the horror genre through the lens of faith, and we hope that you enjoy this time with us. We certainly enjoy this time with you. With you right now is one of your co-hosts, Reed Lackey. Now, normally, and it was a bit abrupt, our other co-host, Nathan Rouse, was here uh, just a mere moment ago, but then he suddenly ran away, got a text, and quickly ran away. And when I asked him what was going on, we're ready to record, he said, uh, he said, no, it'll be okay. I'll be back in a minute. I just have to go feed Lackey, too. And I said, no, I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I don't know what. And, and he didn't elaborate. He didn't say anything further, but he just said he's got to go feed Lackey, too. So uh, I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what it means. Uh, but, you know, he's, he has this proclivity to, you know, introduce or substitute my name for certain things that he enjoys or certain things that he likes. He usually likes to just, you know, substitute my name in there to be cute and funny, and, and I kind of enjoy it. But uh, meanwhile, while he's uh, feeding old Lackey, too, I want to implore you, if you've not already done so, to leave us a rating or a review. Go to iTunes, go to whatever podcast app you get your your feed, your Fear of God feed. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, particularly if it's iTunes. Uh, we've been sitting at the same rating for a few weeks now, uh, I think bordering on a couple of months. So we'd love a new rating, we'd love a new review. We do share those on Instagram uh, when we get them. So please, by all means, leave us a glowing review. A five-star review would be greatly appreciated. Um, and uh, yeah, we, would, we, again, would just adore you for... Oh! Nathan, why are you so bedraggled? Why are you so, you're, well, you're. 
Riri, I've been feeding the thing. The from the, my from the thing. I've just been pricking my fingers and feeding the You know what's really funny about this whole bit is like, you know, like to call my plant lackey too, uh, if the analogy holds, just <laughs> I'm I'm romantically attracted to you, Reed, and so I you know, I mean, I I've wondered this for years. This this was the episode we finally share that, but well, um, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> we want to share with you now. No, I'm just kidding. I Hi. wish I knew how to quit you. Um, <laughs> hey, buddy. It. Hey, buddy. Oh, wow. How are wow. you, man? Wow, we are just crossing the streams and jumping <laughs> ahead to next week. Jumping no, back that's to next week. week. Yeah, it is next week. Um, I am okay. You know how, like, I don't know. Three months ago, I was like shivering in my long underwear and my 10 layers right, of clothes. Right, right. Yeah, the pendulum has completely swung the opposite direction. <laughs> That's North Carolina and, for you. Yeah, I know you can only see me from kind of the, the, the collarbone up, but I, that's God. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's just nothing. There's nothing. It's too hot. <laughs> what? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> That one might not should stay. <laughs> I think I think what I will do, I will just fade myself out and leave okay. your okay. to it. Sure, whatever, whatever. It was so elegant. It was so proper. That one might not should stay. <laughs> you're, our, you're our editor, so do whatever you want, Fisher boy. You got um, it. You got it. Well, great. Hey, Hey, buddy. Buddy, guess what? Like, what? Do you care if I intro this? No, I was going to invite you I know we got, a lot, we got a lot to cover, but, you know, we'll no. start here. We'll start here, and then we'll wander the path. and By all means. Know, go, go, go where the giggles take us. <laughs> um, Dr. Giggles, maybe that should count here. No, probably not. I, I really don't care to watch that. Um, I have seen that movie. I'm sure oh, you have. Oh, man. It's you great. Know, there are a few that haven't passed your view. So, Reed, we are today. So last week, we finished up our mini-19 with Uncle Stevie Shorts. We did. And we left everybody hanging last week of exactly where we were going next because we weren't 100% sure at the time. But we decided in the interim to pull the trigger on something that has been, gosh, gestating for 18 months? Easily. Two years, almost? If not two Um, years, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we are today beginning a run of episodes that will possibly last us about two months Mm -hmm. um, if we can if we can keep our sides from bursting (laughs) Um, a series that we've been plotting and planning and and architecting and and sort of jockeying different material in and out over the course of 18 months we are starting a series called funny or die yep it is going to be a series of horror comedy material uh running the gamut uh, we got a lot of fun surprises. Um, the month of June, by the time this airs, should be visible on the Facebook group and Insta and all that sort of stuff. So check that out to know where we're going in June. Uh, but even coming in July, we've got some fun stuff as well. Doing a little TV guide post. So yes, Riri, we are finally getting to Funny or Die. I can't believe it took today us this long. With the 1986 film based on a play, based on a film, <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> That's so, a lot of based on. It is. It is. Um, but before we get to, you know, b- before we prick our finger too many more times, mm. um, you know, on old Lackey too, I just, um, Riri, I, I just got to know. What you watch? 
What you watching, Riri? Oh. What you listening? What you listening, Riri? What you watching, Lackey? Daru. You like that? I loved it. I, and I could tell. Thank you. I don't know if you practiced. It took some work. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. But it was it was good. It was that's good. why towards the end it tra- that's why towards the end it trailed off a little bit because I was like, oh crap, I've lost the tune. So just <laughs> I don't know what exit. I'm doing now. Abort! Abort! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hysterical. Um, so what am I watching, reading, listening to? Okay, so I have uh, a couple of things that I'm going to just hit and run. I have a listening and I have a watching. Uh, okay. The watching may be a, a, a brief moments conversation, but the listening I'm just going to hit and run. I have got, I've had the opportunity because I finally joined, as their free trial period, Amazon's Music Unlimited service. Um, wanted to check it out, wanted to see kind of what they have, and and I, I mean it's nothing is truly unlimited when it comes to media consumption, but um, <laughs> it is. It, you only have one library. <laughs> I can't get to everything. Um, and and then comes the judgment. <laughs> <laughs> it's fear of God, everybody. So um, right. So, but the, there have been some really great bands that I've been meaning to hear some of their material. Been meaning to check them out for a while, and you know they weren't available from the library, which is where I usually experiment with new bands. I don't do a lot of blind buying anymore. Um, and you know there are outlets like Spotify and the radio and everything like that. But there's a lot of uh, artists that just sort of hit your radar from independent recommendations that you want to check out. So I've got three that I want to mention. Only one of them was I previously familiar with before uh, Amazon Music's recommendations to me. So uh, the first band is called Bronze Radio Return. That's the name. All of these are kind of uh, ethereal pop, kind of more acoustic based, but um, they're, they're great just propulsive pop music, which I really enjoy. So Bronze Radio Return, um, the album that I've specifically been listening to and wearing out is an album called Light Me Up, and it's fantastic. Also, uh, this is the band that I was familiar with beforehand. It's actually, I don't know that it's a band or if it's a solo performer. I need to do some research on this, but I was familiar with an earlier album of his. There's um, an artist called The War on Drugs. That's the artist's name. And uh, the I mean, he has got an outstanding sound, a phenomenal, very spacious, uh, like I mentioned, kind of ethereal sound to it, but uh, really propulsive pop music. Um, and the album I've been listening to of his is called A Deeper Understanding. It's really very moving in several places. Um, and then the third band, I know I'm just sort of hitting and running with these, but I, I love them all. Um, the third band is a band called The Head and the Heart. And the album that I've particularly been, there's several albums that I've been kind of bouncing around with, but my favorite and the one I keep most often returning to is called Signs of Light. But uh, so yeah, those are those are three bands that I've been listening to that I would put my full weight of recommendation and endorsement behind their albums. The albums I mentioned are absolutely amazing, and uh, if you like that kind of ethereal pop music, I think you'd really dig them. I have a second one, but I want to give you an opportunity to to speak up. Well, speaking of music, mm. I would like you to. Uh, in your edit, back me up a little bit here, oh. and you'll know exactly what I mean when I say Riri. I've got a watching and a reading. My watching, however, is the one and only Downton Abbey trailer, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we are going back to Downton Abbey, and I'm that like super true. jazzed about That's going awesome. back to Downton Abbey. That is awesome. It? That is awesome. I love how the big crisis is that the king and queen are coming, and I love how the big mid trailer turn is. Oh. Carson's coming back. It's so great. I, I like, know. I love this. I know. Show. It is great. It is awesome. Like, I've, uh, I, I, you fill in for me in a moment, but I've only watched it the one time through, and it definitely 
watching the trailer, I was like, man, oh. I, I, I might rewatch that. I know. that It does give you that feeling. That's the thing. I've only watched it one time all the way through, although I have seen a couple of episodes more than once, and my wife has seen kind of uh, one and a half viewings because she was into the show already, and then when she recommended it to me, she gotcha. was already kind of more than halfway through it. So she was catching me up by watching it a second time through, and uh, we do we do greatly adore the show, and we are very, very excited for the film. Very, very much so. The trailer is pitch perfect. It's exactly what, like if you're a fan of that show, that trailer tells yeah. you exactly what you, what you need to say, yeah, I'm going to go watch that. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. What, what's your other? So my other one, um, again, I don't want to linger here too much because we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I want to mention, I don't know that I've ever mentioned him on the show before, uh, he's the only recommendation that I'm going to make that uh, listeners might really question my moral fiber and my judgment. For, yeah, I know, right? Um, there's a comedian, a stand-up comedian. I thought long and hard before recommending him, and I will go ahead and say, his material is not only not for the faint of heart, it may not be for many of our listeners. There's a comedian, his name is Anthony Jesselnik. Have you heard this name before? Uh, nope, um, so never. Anth- because I I live a life of integrity. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Utmost character. Utmost. And I don't um, I don't dabble in the in the terrible comedians. Captain Innuendo over there is an utmost integrity. Um, Hello. <laughs> so, Anthony Jesselnik. Wait a minute. Whoa. <laughs> you just said Captain Innuendo is of the utmost integrity. Like you can make fun of me for innuendo, but I don't know that. Having a, a a a sense of humor based on innuendo somehow subverts being a person of integrity. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm amazed how long I took some at that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm no, no, I did. I was like, wait a minute, he just insulted me. <laughs> I was already already midway through recommendation. You're like, did you just just uh, wait a minute? <laughs> um, so uh, what that no, uh, what that just say? <laughs> 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 so okay, so Anthony Jesselnik is. Um, He's a, to, to call him like a blue or a raunchy comedian does not quite properly address his material. His material is intentionally, extremely amoral. <laughs> it, is, it, is the, okay. it is the kind of comedy where he is making jokes about things that are absolutely, like when j- just to say that they're taboo subjects does not do it justice. He's... I'm I'm uncomfortable to repeat some of the jokes that he has so, made on his lis- listeners. Um, when Reed about ten minutes ago asked for reviews and ratings, like just skip the next minute <laughs> of airtime <laughs> before you leave your. I will tell a funny. Okay. I will tell a funny story because I, uh, I when I was trying to talk about him to some friends of mine, and uh, I said, "Now, how easily offended are you?" And these friends said, "Oh my gosh, yeah, we're we're not." easily offended at all we listen to we listen to pretty much everything um and then the wife in that pairing said well there was that one guy that was a little too much for us and uh and he said oh yeah that that anthony jessel something and i was like oh oh wait a minute <laughs> and i had to quickly but because i and i admitted it i was like well that's actually who i was going to talk to you about um but here's what's impressive about him i can't repeat any of his jokes his jokes are uh when i say they are extreme i'll just i mean i'll give you the name of his most recent comedy special it is uh fire in the maternity ward is the name of his most recent comedy special um he frequently jokes about taboo subjects such as sexual assault uh he has a 15 minute bit about abortion in his most recent 
stand-up special. And so listeners are probably wondering at this point, why in the world is Reed talking about this guy? Well, here's what's very, very... Listeners, <laughs> co-hosts. Exactly. Here's what's fascinating about him. When you, when you hear his bit, when you hear the, the stand-up that he does, two things are immediately apparent. Number one, he, uh, it, it is a persona. This, these do not reflect his actual views. And number two, that it is very calculated material. It is not rampant riffing. He has sat down. He has written this. He has probably rewritten the joke. The timing, the specific word choice is so precise. I don't think he says the word um at all in any of his like two-hour specials. They are precise. It's almost like George Carlin level. He has calculated this material. But here's what's fascinating about him, because he jokes a lot about like even like some very misogynistic jokes in his material. But he hires, he he has a rule. He only hires female openers, and has you know it's been expressed to him before. Like there's a lot of people who really appreciate it because uh, not everybody obviously, but a lot of comedians they just hit the road like sort of with their friends and their bros and everything like that. And and um, he's somebody who is is very and he doesn't make a big parade of it or anything, but. What's fascinating to me about it is how clearly this thing is a persona. And the reason I wanted to bring it up on the show, and we don't have to discuss it much further than this, I just say it, it, I find it fascinating, is he says, no, I get up on stage and I don't play devil's advocate, I play the devil. And by doing that, he's doing some very intentional subvertive things to the subjects that he's addressing. And again, this man is... is very, very smart. Uh, I, I dare I say, brilliant. His his specific jokes, offensive and outrageous as they are, are so undeniably calculated and clever. It is insanely impressive. Um, but it, it, so he's a fascinating figure to me. Um, I had to bring him up. I had to talk about him because he's. And again, I don't even know if this is a recommendation. Um, but I will say that if any, <laughs> but if any of you out there have, hey, well, well, listen, you know, the title of the segment is what you're watching. It's yes, not yes. what you recommend of what you're watching. <laughs> that's a good point. You know, that's a good that'd point. That'd be, that'd be, a, that'd be too many words. Yes. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's very true. That's very true. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, he, again, I think he's doing something very smart, very clever, very intentional. Uh, I would not at all be surprised if somebody was like, I just can't listen to this because it is outrageously offensive. But he is a fascinating figure to me. And when you when you hear him in interviews with uh, other celebrities or with, uh, you know, just entertainment reporters, he obviously drops the full persona and he's just a very different person. And so it's fascinating to see someone and he doesn't get in. Oh, and this is the other thing that I wanted to mention up. Because, now, again, this is a potential whole side conversation. I would hit this and run. He said in an interview one time, he said, I do find it fascinating how some people in my profession have been held up as these, like, moral voices. Like, oh, these are our consciences. He specifically cited Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari. Um, and he was like, you know, they've been cited as sort of, like, moral consciences in this arena. And there are at least some degree of scandal in their personal life. He was like, I am arguably the most offensive, outrageous, amoral comedian out there, but I, there are no skeletons in my closet. Like it's all, it's all just out there. And again, I just, you know, I, I, I just find the guy fascinating. That's why I'm bringing him up. I've been rattling around in my head about 
exactly how I feel about his material, how I feel about his particular profession, uh, and what he's doing with it. So it's just, it's just fascinating. So if listeners have any thoughts, I would love to hear some feedback if anybody's heard of him or is familiar with his work. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. Uh, send hate mail <laughs> to read lackey right. at gmail.com. Right. Exactly. Not to the fear of God. No, please don't. So no, I, I had never heard of him and you know, uh, uh, I, I, you know, who, who knows? But what is funny, I'm I'm holding this up for you to see it so that you know I'm not like oh. I'm just trying to off offset your raunch. Sure, of course. So yeah. I need to swing us back into the depths. Okay. You, oh. you, you like you took us from the shallows up to the beach, you dried us off, you took us over, <laughs> you know, like to the bar, to the tiki bar. I'm gonna pull us back okay. or attempt to into the depths. I'm just you know, I'm just playing with you. No, I, know. I, no, I, I know. really have no opinion here. <laughs> so I, I, my last sort of what you're reading in this case is so online frenemy, and he's not even really that, but <laughs> in the real uh, bro, Blake Collier, who has been on our show a couple of times, gifted me this book by a gentleman named Christian Wyman, uh, which is a name I was familiar with, but had not read hmm. a single word by Christian Wyman, so one, thank you, Blake, but two, Christian Wyman's sort of brief story is simply that person of faith, young person of faith, completely abandons faith, walks away from the church utterly and completely in his early 20s, as a late 30-something, develops cancer mm. um, and has this dramatic return to a sort of faith. But he's also this incredibly accomplished poet. I have not read any of his poetry, but the book that Blake gifted me is called My Bright Abyss, mm. subtitled Meditation of a Modern Believer. And it's just his prose. I mean, I'm not I'm barely halfway through it, but I've already marked up half of what I've read. Oh wow. Um his prose of kind of his return to faith and what that means to him in this stage of life and what he's encountered and lived through and facing. And you know, as you can imagine, someone who is vocationally a poet is just going to have such a beautiful sort of linguistic capacity. And and goodness gracious, man, if you'll permit me one brief sort of passage here that sort of sent my spirit soaring, uh, I'm bebopping around a little paragraph here. So, I mean, the the book is mainly just little sec little sections. You know, it's not like there are chapters, but even those chapters are broken down into a little just segment. So this is just part of one segment mm. um, that I just want to share real quick, and then we'll move into whatever's next. Um, he says, Christianity itself is this. To every age, Christ dies anew and is resurrected within the imagination of man. A deeper truth, though, one that scripture suggests when it speaks of the eternal word being made specific flesh, which is an amazing phrase, mm. the eternal word being made specific flesh, is that there is no permutation of humanity in which Christ is not present. Mm. That's beautiful. This next part, read like this is friend to friend here. Who cares if people are listening? Like this part, this next section is just like, I don't know, soul bathing. He said, so after saying already, there is no permutation of humanity in which Christ is not present. He goes on to say, if every Bible is lost, if every church crumbles to dust, if the last believer in the last prayer opens her eyes and lets it all finally go, 
Christ will appear on this earth as calmly and casually as he appeared to the disciples walking to Emmaus after his death, mm. who did who did not recognize this man to whom they had pledged their very lives, this man whom, after walking the dusty road with them, after sharing an ordinary meal and discussing the scriptures, had to vanish once more in order to make them see. Hmm. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. That's good stuff. That's and really and the whole book is just littered with kind of passages like that. So mm. uh, I do, it, it is not only a thing I'm reading, but a thing I also heartily recommend mm. uh, in the spirit of those distinctions. And that is My Bright Abyss by Christian Wyman. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Riri, for another episode of What You Watching, What You Watching Like You, What You Reading, What You Reading, Riri. See what I tell you? Yeah. He likes to. Yeah. He likes to. But see, what, what listeners, first of all, great job. But what listeners Thank don't, you. what listeners don't appreciate, <laughs> what they can't fully appreciate is, is that, that sensibility no no that sensibility oh. when when we were driving down like you know when we lived out in california together or when we were in college together we would be we'd be driving down and like some 80s tune <laughs> would hit the hit the radio and you'd be like you know ooh lucky do you know what that's worth? <laughs> <laughs> and, and like it was it was with everything you know i love that your choice of song selection there is the Bangles <laughs> or no uh, Belinda Carlisle? Belinda, Belinda Car- Car- not just the Bangles. <laughs> Belinda Carlisle, the solos artist. Oh yeah, absolutely. Formerly of the Bangles, like you didn't. Go- I thought you were aiming for like eighties metal hair, <laughs> and you went for Belinda Carlisle, which truthfully is more Nathan than eighties metal hair. So you do, you do clearly know me well. well I was somewhere <laughs> in the deep recesses of my mind that actively happened. So it just, it just. I'm it, sure it, it did. It just I'm sure it did. Recalled you know? in the middle. Yes, exactly. So yeah, there's, there's that. Oh, dude. What? Dude, this is fun. This is great. What? This is great. So. We are diving back into another thing, and I, I can't believe that I talked you into this. I can't believe this. What? This is amazing. So, listeners, we also, in addition to the whole run for this Funny or Die series, hashtag Funny or Die, we are also diving in to a weekly, every new episode will cover a few, another hashtag TV guideposts. We what, finally what? selected one. We finally selected another hashtag TV guideposts. And so now is it is it something real? Like so we're doing funny or die, the series, so it's gonna be comedic, it's gonna have some comedic flavor. <clears throat> I imagine I mean, at least tonally where I was steering, I thought this is what you told me. I imagine it's gonna be something real, like gritty and mm. you know, like just Maybe not quite as weighty as Haunting of Hill House, which was a wonderful walk through that house. Um, but you know, something gritty something like just weighty and you know substantive and spirited yeah, yeah like yeah. uh like 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 a hannibal or something like that yeah like that's that's where we're going right deep rich themes no no as a matter of fact ladies and gentlemen we are going out <laughs> to the the original cabin out in the woods we are going to be making our way week by week by week through the stars tv series uh, stars with a Z. That's the network of Ash versus Evil Dead. We're gonna do it right here. I'm gonna drag you kicking and screaming <laughs> like a deadite all the way through Ash versus Evil Dead. Listeners, um, if if you enjoyed 
uh, our walk through the haunting of Hill House. That is what you can expect. Um, if you did not enjoy it, then we love you anyway, and just skip forward like twenty minutes because we're going to be talking. That's what you can expect formatting wise. <laughs> exactly. That's not what you can expect <laughs> content wise. That's true. We will not be weepy over Ash versus Evil. No, Dead. I do not no, predict not that. Not at all. Um, but yeah. So what we're going to do, and this is this is more ambitious for us. Uh, Ash versus Evil Dead is a twenty to thirty minute episode show, uh, so it is uh, brisker than the Haunting of Hill House. But there are three seasons to cover, and so what we're going to do is every episode we're going to cover about three or four um, mostly three episodes of the TV show so if you're watching it uh, it's readily available in multiple streaming outlets at this point if you happen to have a subscription to the Stars Network service it is available uh, to stream through that service for free uh, or through your subscription service um, so uh, we're if you if you have Reed's Voodoo login credentials <laughs> you can get there that way too that's true I wasn't going to uh, make you buy it I was going to share it no, with you well, I've- I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we're going to uh, sort of briefly here, we're going to talk about, if you're familiar at all with the, we covered the original Evil Dead on the pod before, and then recently we got together with our friends, uh, with the, the pod bros, if you will, and we exposed you to Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And uh, You did. And while we were out, in a cabin in the mountains. So that was yeah, that was yeah, that was, really that was fun. a good time. Um, so uh, I don't want to especially th- fun was the watching that viewing of Doc Soldiers. Oh yeah, you mean the ones where like Jeff Blake and I bowed out <laughs> no. like halfway through it. Yeah, as, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. You didn't you didn't have to drill. Too. I was just yeah. gonna just let that one go. <laughs> it's like well, I wasn't gonna call gonna, you out on it. I wasn't gonna say. I was just gonna yeah, I was just gonna drop the little pebble in the water and move on. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 let's go scuba diving. <laughs> like. No, I'm really still bitter. Don't bring it up again. <laughs> so, so, yes, we all yeah. got together in the California mountains with the Pod Bros. We watched Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. They are wacky. They are <laughs> gonzo. They are woo. They are, uh, they are So, woo. this is, we are, this, you know what? We are pouring out a bunch of cold ones for Jeff Hansen. We Let's sure are. Let's give it up. Oh, man. For. Crestline's favorite son, dude, Jeff Hansen. This is for you, buddy. We love you, Jeff. You know, it's like I know you don't love talking on the pod, but you're going to be talked about on the pod. So here <laughs> we are. So yes, we are talking about Ash versus Evil Dead. Um, I have had just this crash course for through the mythos and canon of the Evil Dead verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on that trip, we watched Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi oh, as well. Yeah. And y'all were like, "Oh, look at the homage." I'm like, "I don't get it." <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, in but retrospect, now, we should have watched the Evil Dead movie first, and then you would have got it. But, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure that would have changed a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're taking a hell of a long time just right now. So Ash vs. Evil Dead, Season 1, Episodes 1 through 3. Here we go. Riri. Yes. Okay. Here we go. All right, so I want... I've, I've got, what do you want to know? I've, what do you want to talk I've about? I've got my likes and dislikes. I just want to know, like, like what do you think? Be honest. I know this is not, like, your favorite franchise, but what do you think? Honestly, hit, well, hit me with Well, I mean, yeah, like, okay, so I've watched all these movies one singular time. Sure. And I imagine if I'd caught these movies with some pod bros circa, you know, 1996, um, <laughs> when I was, you know however old i was at that point in time like they catch you at a certain age they they sink their dead-eye teeth in and, and don't let you go for 20 years into right the future. right so so i am kind of like acclimating to the conventions of the raimi verse uh by way of evil dead so that's to say i don't dislike those movies they are sure just an, an acquired taste on the first go round. right um so, I, yes, I was a little skeptical mm. uh, going into 
A-V-E-D, <laughs> as we will uh, uh, persist to call it. Um, and, and honestly, it didn't start great with the kind of lewd oh. bathroom scene in the first episode. There's a very, I, I, yeah, it's very adult. Yeah, that, that, that's when I texted you. I don't know oh. if you remember me being like, so what if I'm not in? <laughs> That's so funny. Yes. Because when what the, if I'm not down on this? When it when it opens with uh with a blatant uh sexual encounter with Ash and some lady he's picked up in a bar, I, I understand why that created yeah. a bit of caution in your in your mind. I understand. Um but but that said, I mean I have I mean I'm uh, just just FYI, I'm six episodes in, so I'm a little ahead of where we are right now. I just right, wanted right, to right, right, right. move forward, you know. I'm just, I got so excited. Um, and I, I'm digging it. I'm, I'm in it. Um, cool. You know, like, it's it's fun. Uh, I do think you, you made a comment to this effect, uh, not necessarily to me, but in my presence. And so I remember you saying something to this effect that, and I would agree with this, so I'm, that's why I'm echoing it, mm. but having only seen the evil dead movies uh the first second and army of darkness once and being a bit discombobulated by their scatteredness this feels like the most realized version of kind of yeah. what that was after which is the the those films lean steer at a certain point overly zany mm-hmm. this at least where i'm at isn't zany it's just you know kind of kind of I don't know, kind of, kind of, what am I trying to say? You know, like it's, it's got some pop, it's got some sort sure. of oh, yeah. Jazz, yeah. jazz to it in terms of the rhythm, which I appreciate. Absolutely. Uh, and it yeah. also balances that out. I'm, I'm hesitant to say it's scary, though some scenes are a bit haunting. Or, sure. Or, of course. You know, kind yeah. of jump, jump moments, mm-hmm. but it's got some great kind of horror imagery to it. Um, I oh, think yeah. the creature effects of the deadites are fantastic. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. And far better than they were, you know, 30 years ago. Sure, um, sure. So I, I, don't know, I don't know exactly where you want to go with yeah. the conversation, though. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, a perfect answer to my question. I just, uh, you know, kind of wanted to know your general thoughts about it. Uh, we're not going to belabor these too much, as we did with the previous TV Guide Posts run with um, The Haunting of Hill House. During these little recaps, we're just going to mention of the episodes that we cover some things that we like, uh, maybe a couple of things that we didn't like or whatever, and then we will eventually in this Funny or Die series be devoting an entire episode to the show in which we can unpack some more thematic stuff, dig a little bit deeper. So this is just going to kind of be skimming the surface, as it were. So we don't need to break down every single episode. I think that would probably uh, take too long, but we can... Uh, basic, the basic premise of this show, of this iteration of it, is Ash Williams, um, who was the star of the you know original trilogy, The Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. He has, in this TV show, the very opening, he ha- realizes uh, to his dismay that on one night of uh, somewhat pot-laden debauchery, he cited from the Necronomicon, which is the Book of the Dead. And when he read some passages from the Necronomicon, he brought these things he calls deadites that he had fought in the original trilogy. He brought them back. And now... Well, now, I, I did... I'm sorry sure. to get no, you off, but it's, it's funny or die, and that's going to happen a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just fair warning. Um, I did really like that because... Oh, sure, yeah. You know, it was like, okay, how are they going to reintroduce this mythology without it feeling forced sure you know, yeah forced of plot right and I, I just i really appreciated that while getting high and showing off to the woman right he's with, right he reinvokes these 
ancient words that bring the evil back into the world. So, sure, yeah, that was really sure. funny to me. Um, and Sam Raimi, who was the the brainchild behind the uh, core trilogy, uh, the director of all three of those films and the director of Drag Me to Hell, he directed the pilot episode of this. So where the show goes, he's, Sam Raimi wasn't the showrunner for the ultimate show. Um, so where the show goes pivots into some kind of different places for the series. We'll get into those as we go along. But uh, Sam Raimi does direct this original pilot episode, and I think it's fantastic. I, d- I actively enjoy the Evil Dead trilogy, but none of the individual films, and I think I said this when I was watching the third season uh, as it was airing live, none of just them... To the, just to the room, did you say it? Just to the room? No, I said it to you and to J.R. Foresteros on our Empathy oh, for the Devil okay. Well, I was, I was just making a fear of God joke. Really. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to let you do that. I was, I, well, I clearly, was... <laughs> I was just trying to build some continuity. Yeah. It's, it's funny or die. Yeah, <laughs> just trying to interrupt me yet again with another thought of... <laughs> I'm just wow! I'm just wow! Kidding. No, carry on. I will. <laughs> I'll just leave the room, <laughs> and then I'll just do what I always do and talk to the room. Um, right. So, uh, <laughs> the look on your face is priceless. <laughs> um, okay, so I had said that Ash versus Evil Dead is my favorite iteration of this concept, as we've already kind of kind of talked about, and I think it's because they finally find this perfect blend in my mind of these grotesque, it's extreme sort of gore stuff. I mean, it is it is what I would call mature content, but it's not heavy content. So it's mature in the sense that it's adult language, it's it, you know occasionally sexual situations, graphic violence and, and gore and stuff like that, um, even conversations about drug use and everything. So it's very adult in its tone, but it's not heavy. And I feel but, like... But I mean, if you can, hear, if you can handle Deselnick, you can handle some Ash versus Evil Dead. That is absolutely true. <laughs> there is no question about that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but they do finally strike this, this great balance, in my opinion, between the gore and the sort of outrageous, horrific elements. Uh, as you mentioned, it's, none of the films have ever, except for maybe the first one, have ever been really sort of scary. And then, uh, then they balance in the humor, which I think is pretty strong in the series. And then they also, as the show goes on, begin to pepper in some, what I feel is pretty earned sentiment and heart with the new characters that they introduce, with the way the characters interact with each other. And so I really appreciated all of that about it. If you want to, yeah, the, the basic premise is, as we've already mentioned, Ash brings back the evil dead, uh, and then he sets off on a quest to destroy them along the way, sort of roping in, somewhat accidentally, uh, one of his co-workers, uh, two of his co-workers actually, Pablo and Kelly, um, who basically get roped in because they have some family connections that get affected by these deadites. And so the the show becomes the three of them and some other characters that interact uh, in and out with them along the way. Uh, the show becomes them in their quest to ultimately and finally defeat the evil dead and send them back uh, into the Netherlands where they where they belong. So I have Spoiler a spoiler alert. Well, that's their quest. I haven't said what happened. That's true. Uh, so yeah, so there's a couple of things I, I, I I'm not going to mention too many of these, but it was interesting to me going back and watching this first episode again, now having seen the whole series, and this obviously wouldn't have resonated strongly with you, but there's a lot of uh, tie-ins in the third season to things that we've seen in the first season. It remains to be seen how strongly those connections will remain with us as we travel through the series, but it, I was pretty impressed with the symmetry that, that wow, they're calling out to some very specific things in the third season that happened in these early episodes. I have just a couple of likes-dislikes. I'll pivot to you in a, in a second. 
I I do love the scene when Ash is told to bring the light bulbs and like he picks up the box and then Bruce That Cam- was funny. <laughs> Bruce yes. Campbell's reaction when the light bulbs just all scatter out and break. I love his grand return to form in the pilot like when he finally yeah. sort of comes to his own and gets the chainsaw and gets the boomstick uh, shotgun. Yeah. yeah. Um so I loved that. I feel like, and this is probably one of the more scary moments in the entire run of the show, but I feel like that scene with the cops in the house in the first episode. Yeah, that was great. It's fantastic. Uh, really genuinely creepy and haunting, as you described earlier, uh, even though I, I don't know if any of the show would give anybody specific nightmares, but some definitely creepy and, and effective chilling moments. What did what did you have? Mention a couple of yours, either in this episode or any of the three that we watched. Yeah, so we're covering these first three. Um, I've referenced a little bit. I, I loved how he ended up unlocking it again. That was just a really great mm-hmm. situational moment. Uh, the makeup effects are great. Uh, I did write down just what you just referenced. The cop scene uh, in the house yeah. um, was pretty creepy. Uh, one last scare and then one last kind of funny the scare, I love mm. the creature de- the creature design of the monster in the third episode. Oh my god, he's um, great, that, Elegos. That, yeah, 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 yeah. That recurs through the next maybe one or two. Yeah, after that. Uh, really, really great creature design there, and not just the visual, but the sort of digital effect they applied mm-hmm. to him. I, I just, I don't know, because the deadite imagery can get a little old. Yeah, a little tired. Right, right, right. right. Um, so when they did that, I was like, oh, that, that looks great. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then my last kind of note on these three episodes, really, it's it's an ancillary tie-in here, but I love the dinner table scene in episode two. So Ash oh my gosh. takes Pablo this and this woman, Kelly, uh, co-work- these two co-workers to Kelly's house because her mom was previously dead, her dad on the phone at the top of the series tells her the mom's home. Well, Kelly deduces, is this a deadite thing? So they go episode two is just this bottle episode at her house mm-hmm. and, and they're having this dinner and it's Mimi Rogers, the actress yeah, uh, she's great. who's playing the mom. Now, I don't know if you know where I'm going here, but like Mimi Rogers was in the first Austin Powers movie. And all oh, I, I could think that. while they're during this scene is uh, because Ash is very dubious of this woman's nature. Like she, he's convinced she's a deadite. Right. The Kelly, the Kelly character is, you know, at least mildly convinced. No, this is really my mom. And it's just a misunderstanding. And I just kept thinking of that's not your mother. That's a man, man. And like, cause he, and then he punches her in the face. Doesn't he? Like he punches her. He does. Um, he does. Yeah. 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 Like this. Ha- and Mimi Rogers is in Austin powers, which is, that's a line from it. So I, I there's so much like, I sat there thinking, come on, they've got to know they're calling this out. Um, they probably do. The show's very you, self-aware. Did you notice, like, so, uh, spoiler alert, Mimi Rogers ends up, the character, her character is a Deadite. Well, I guarantee you that is not Mimi Rogers in that makeup. And I just love the notion that she's like, nah, I'm good. You know what's really I'm funny? Not, I'm not. Huh. It is. It absolutely is Are you her. serious? I, it does not look like her. Well, here's what's funny is... Um, uh, digitally, well, you have access to this too because you have my account. Digitally, there's a little two minute behind the scenes of every single episode. Big Brother, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so, but the but uh, well, I own it. I can share it with who I want to. But um, so the uh, there's a little behind the scenes things uh, for every single episode, and in sure. the one on that episode, the I don't know if it's the showrunner or the director of that episode. Basically, 
hugely praises Mimi Rogers. He said she was down for everything. She said, really? Yeah, he said she wanted to do all of her own stunts. She wanted to cover herself in as much blood as possible. She w- he said she showed up to this excited to be a part of this show and was just on board. For that's funny because 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 yeah. when it cut to the Deadite version, I was like, that's not her. Oh, it, really? It really doesn't look like her under the makeup. But no, okay, no. Well, but uh, but no. So it's just it's just funny. But I I do love I had that on my notes, too, because I love when he's just like she's like, unless you have any more questions for me, he's like, just one. And then just socks her right. Just punches yeah. her right oh, yeah. in the face. Yeah, that's great. Um, Austin. That's not your mother. Sorry. Um, <laughs> another fun, another fun fear of God crossover moment here. Mimi Rogers had a recurring run middle of the series of X Files. So oh. shout out, shout out, Team Ned. Uh, X Files okay. little okay. reference here. It's been a while. It's been a while. Sure, sure. Um, I have just one more, just a line okay. that I love that I want to mention. Um, I do love the trio fully comes into their own as the series progresses. But you start in the Books from Beyond episode, which is episode three, you start to kind of see the the threads begin to form of this trio's dynamic, Pablo Kelly and sure. Ash. And uh, I love where he's like, well, no, I'm I'm, a, I'm an alone wolf. And <laughs> Kelly, yeah, Kelly's like, great. a lone wolf. He said, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's it's great. So, yes, uh, we'll be tagging back in uh, uh, three, three-ish episodes at a time. With- we, we really need Reed. Oh boy. We really need a TV Guide Posts theme. We do. We do. Yes. We do. So we, I want you to work to... on that for next week. Okay. okay. All right. All right. We'll, we'll for try next to, week's we'll try episode. To All right. No, you. No, I'm I, telling you. I, I know. I'm, I'm going to need to Okay. Know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give, I'll give you a week. Okay. Do that. I'll have a full week <laughs> to, to, to think about this. <laughs> okay. Time travel. <laughs> All right. That has been part one of TV Guide Posts, Funny or Die. Featuring ass. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> featuring ass versus Evil Dead. Oh my wow. gosh. I mean, you know, it works. It so now, does. read part one, funny or die, oh my Little Shop of Horrors. Let's cannot, do this, man. I cannot believe Feed we're going to cover this. Feed oh me. Oh my gosh. My hunger is insatiable. So I'm a giant monster alien. You'd plant. You'd seen this film before, right? What's hysterical? Yes, I have. It's like... This came out in 86. Yeah. I remember this as a young person, but I couldn't. But watching it, I was like, why on earth did my parents let me watch this? (laughs) Um, Because what's interesting about Little Shop of Horrors, and a bit unlike our next week episode, Little Shop of Horrors has definitely got a super dark lining around Uh, it. Oh, it does. Oh, absolutely. And especially if you know... The original ending, that's oh, extremely dark. Abs- absolutely. Have we you, should, we should just allude to it and not tell them. You don't, Really? If I had you a whole know, bit. If I you to know. T- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, so that ending, yeah, it, it does have a super dark sheen. Have you? So the ending is available. It's out there now. Um, because I've not watched it, but I just, I just they, read about it. They released a Blu-ray of it that is the director's cut, and the Blu-ray of it, the director's cut Blu-ray, gives you the option to watch either the original theatrical release or this different cuz the the brief bit of history behind it is that the stage play version of it the off-broadway musical which is what this film is based on ends uh, so this film has a happy ending spoiler alert for all of this but uh, it has a happy ending 
but the Broadway play does not, specifically does not. Well, I guess it has a happy ending for the plant because you're following these characters, Seymour, Krellborn, and Audrey, and you're following them, and then suddenly at the end of the film, the plant, which eats people, eats Audrey and Seymour, eats our main characters, and then the the play ends with the plants taking over the world. <laughs> like, like they they fully and ultimately win. And so when Frank Oz, uh, a.k.a. Yoda and Miss Piggy and Fozzie, uh, he directed this film, and when he was doing it, he wanted to keep that original ending. Well, they, they filmed it. It was like uh, $5 million of their budget to generate this ending. And then it was test screenings, and the way Frank Oz described it is he said, you would sit in the test screening, and for an hour and ten minutes of the movie, the audience would cheer, they would laugh, they would almost get out of their seats, and the moment Audrey 2 is the is the big man-eating plant, the moment that Audrey 2 consumed the real Audrey, from that point on, he said it was like a refrigerator. Like, nobody did anything. Uh, nobody applauded, nobody enjoyed it, nothing. And he said their test scores were painful because he said you have to get... Uh, studios put different mandates on it, but... Studios typically mandate that you have to get like an audience approval score of fifty five. They tested it like a thirteen, and it yeah. was and it was all because of that. Ending. Well, and it's interesting. The quote I found of his regarding this is he says, and this is just really interesting and just sort of the examining different mediums. Sure, media examining different media here. He says it turns out that unlike the stage. The audience doesn't get to see their favorite characters again at the end of the film. Right. They're just dead. Right. And right. I don't know. I just thought that was a really fascinating sort of and rather astute, oh, well, expensive lesson to learn there. Sure. But yeah. um, but what's funny about that is rewatching it, I remember a lot of, or, you know, it, it. if I'd seen it more than once, I don't know. And it's more just knowing the major kind of beats and the feed me see more and some of the songs right so right. some of the more detailed aspects uh were lost to me but when he when audrey too is ostensibly consuming audrey i was like uh i did not remember this but oh. this is oh yeah this makes sense based on where this is going you know so sure, I, I was sure i was fully prepared for that to happen but um for that ending but no it's yeah yeah there's a there's a ton. I mean, you get you get a movie that's 35 years old like this, and there's going to be fun stories. Um, but like the actual, I don't know if you saw this. Originally, Spielberg was going to produce with Scorsese yeah. directing. Scorsese was going to direct it. I could not believe that's that. Crazy. He to wanted think of. to direct it in 3D. I mean, this is nuts to me. Can you? Imagine? What an idiot. <laughs> I'm kidding. What a hack. <laughs> What's going to happen next? He's going to make something direct on Netflix? Oh, my God. Wait a, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Um, that, and I was blown away by the fact that Jack Nicholson originates the Bill Murray role in the Corman, Roger Corman film. Yes, that's actually Jack that's... Nicholson's debut film role. That's the Really? First, yeah, I believe. I, I actually remember that, oh. but that might be some, oh, oh. listeners check us. No, but I'm pretty oh. sure that no, was No, Jack no, 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 no. Listeners check Reed. L- wow. I you mean, just, you just tossed me to Audrey too. You just like just, here, no, take like, take him. Take him. Time. Take him. Uh, <laughs> it's so, like it's like me and you in the ha- Halloween haunted nights or whatever it's called. You oh know, my so god! I just yes. Throw you, yes. Throw you to the monsters. I still have the bruises, but um. So yeah, the uh, I believe that was Jack Nicholson's first role. Here's an interesting thing that I thought was kind of funny. So uh, Steve Martin, who is wonderful in this, he's so wonderful. His 
instruments of his dental <laughs> profession in there, they are the same. Now, I, I don't know if this is true. I read this, but he said they're the same props that were used for Tim Burton's Batman. And it was interesting because there's this weird sort of connection because those are the same props that were used in Tim Burton's Batman, which were used on Jack Nicholson to turn him into the Joker. And Jack Nicholson originated the role that they are used on in Bill Murray in this film. So there's all kinds of weird meta things happening. with, Whoa. with Jack. Whoa. It's so crazy. Funny um, or die, Reed. <laughs> hi, Arnold. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, uh, I found several, I'm probably not going to have time to say all of these, but I found several interesting trivial bits uh, that I'd like to share. We're already in trivial bits. That's what, what I'm saying. Like, you found them. Like, go for it. I got no, more yeah, too. Yeah, There's absolutely. a whole lot of trivia to bitterize. There's a ton. Bits There's of, a ton. Bitsify? What is the word? Bitterize or bitsify? We can, uh, we, we can bitter, bittery. Bitsarize. Bitsarize. Okay. Little, little <laughs> bitty. <laughs> so, um, during, <laughs> during the film's promotion... I loved this. Audrey, too, would occasionally be interviewed by members of the press. And on yes. at least one occasion, the interview ended with Audrey, too, eating the reporter, which I think That's is hysterical. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. hysterical. I'll share one more, and then uh, you share a couple that you have. You know what I love about this moment is it makes me think of our episode on the fly when you were unprepared for my level of I know. Of I was like, oh, I didn't realize that you did research on this. You can read, too. Uh, please. <laughs> Please go listen to The Fly, listener, if you've made it this far into this episode. <laughs> it's so crazy. I was like, why am I even talking here? You can, you can do all the things. You're all the man now, Jeff. Um, all right. So I loved uh, that. So Audrey 2 is uh, a puppet uh, puppeteered by uh, you know Jim Henson's company veterans, one of whom was Brian Henson, uh, Jim Henson's son. And when it was performed, when the puppet was performed, it looked somewhat unrealistic. Did you do you know where I'm going with this trivial bit? About them slowing down the Yeah, so they filmed thing. Audrey two. Yeah, they filmed Audrey two at twelve to sixteen frames per second and then reeled it and and showed it at twenty four frames per second, which sped it up and made it look a little bit more realistic. But where this is most impressive... I is think that was, just as a real caveat, I think that was also mainly to sync up the, the visual vocal with the songs, but please right. carry on. Well, no, that's yeah, that's correct. Um, oh. But what's impressive about that is that the scenes, and there's not many of them, but the scenes in which both Rick Moranis and Audrey too are supposed to be speaking, Rick Moranis had to perform in slow motion. So that when they sped it up, it would match the speed of Audrey too, and I just I think that's incredibly impressive that Moranis was able to do that because it looks seamless. I didn't yeah. I, I wouldn't have noticed anything about it if I hadn't read that bit of trivia. So it's it's Hollywood magic. Oh man! And so the, because they said well, they let's go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say because they said they didn't use any optical effects. The only optical effect in the film was the one in the reshot ending, the, the theatrical ending, uh, where Audrey 2, the plant, it, it blows up. There's an optical effect, obviously, with the electricity you know, causing Audrey 2 to blow up. But I thought other that than looked that, like the Death Star. <laughs> it's, it is. <laughs> they just took old footage. Uh, right. But uh, what's impressive to me is all of the other Audrey 2 effects were all done practically without the trickery of amazing. composites. I mean, or, it yeah. looks amazing. It's and in stunning. fact, I thought you were about to say this, so I'm, I'm going to say it for us okay um there were 60 operators necessary to operate the one ton audrey 2 puppet yep 60 one people ton. that's crazy well and when yeah, you see particularly crazy. toward the end 
just how ext- I mean, there's so many different tendrils, and it it's gigantic. I mean, Rick Moranis is a rather small framed individual, but even I mean, he's still human, so he's I mean, he's still you know like. <laughs> So when you see him in the room, I love that. It, that's how you ended that sentence. Well, he's small, but I mean, come on, he's still a human, <laughs> and that thing is a plant. I it's mean, a it's rather, like, rather large plant. Exactly. And when you see it next he's to him, a oh. mean green mother from outer space. <laughs> um, Did you know that's the only Oscar nominated Oscar nominated? Oscar I don't think it's not the only. It was the first Oscar na- nominated song. There you to, go. <laughs> I know I did Oscar nated. Um, it's, yeah. it's the first Oscar nominated song to contain profanity. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. What's really amazing is it was Oscar nated and Shut it up. lost to what? I didn't read that. You know more oh. trivia than I do. Oh. I do. I'm wow. not going to tell you. No, I am going to tell you, <laughs> Son because of a- I love this song. It lost to Take My Breath Away from Top Gun, which is a hell of a track. Wow. Wow. You talk about me singing some Belinda Carlisle. That's <laughs> some Take My Breath Away next. <laughs> oh my take, my, take my read away. There, there it is. There it is. Yes. Last, ladies and gentlemen, he does it all the time. All the time. I don't know the words. I just know the tune. No, you don't. (laughs) I mean, I don't either. So if if it's if Mean Green Mother's going to lose to something, I am okay with it losing to Take My Breath Away because that's a that's That's, a sexy song. Yes. Um. All right. So before we get too hot and bothered up in here in Nathan's garage, um, (laughs) I have a couple more. What? Oh, really? Sweet. I have a couple more. Goodness gracious, is going to be a long episode. Only three more. Just hang tight. Only Only three. three. Okay. Only three. three. Okay. So uh, number one is uh-huh. uh, Ellen Green is the only cast member from the original yep. Off-Broadway show to Knew reprise that. her role. Um, mm-hmm. They had originally offered it to Cindy Lauper, but Cindy Lauper I, couldn't mm-hmm. do it be- because she was touring. This is the only film in which comedy legends... Well, supposedly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. Supposedly, also, Streisand turned it down. So Streisand did turn it down. Yes, okay. that's true. You didn't um, say that part. No, I didn't because I, you know, I was trying to move along but um the keep only it, keep it going this is the only film in which comedy legend steve martin and bill murray have a scene together uh um, wow in their illustrious careers they have never shared another scene together except this one the film's soundtrack if you buy the soundtrack album to the film most of the versions of the songs are notably different from the film versions um and then I hate it when that happens i know right it's like I'm, I'm singing along with what i know and then the last one that i have is a call out to our old gardner web days um i don't know if you were in this class class with me uh shout out keith cassidy um but i don't know if you were in this class with me but the very first class that i was in with keith uh it was an acting class and he showed a clip and he said yes tell me what's similar yep tell me what's similar about these three clips and he showed a clip from the princess bride and, and he showed a clip from everybody yep he showed a clip from the princess bride from this is spinal tap and from Little Shop of Horrors. And, uh, uh, modesty be damned, I was the one in our classroom. It did. It confounded everybody. Modesty be damned. That's like That's Reed's right. middle name. <laughs> he's, he's constantly patting himself on the back. Well, when I was you hanging know what? out with uh, this celebrity. and when I, I was, guessed uh, it, and I've met him. Yes, I have not met Christopher Guest, but I would love to. Um, but... So uh, Christopher Guest is the cur- first customer, the one that pops in. Uh, he also of uh, Best in Show fame and all of those mockumentaries. And I would like to point out that if memory serves, which in often cases it does not with me, but I don't think you were like, I know it, this is it. Like, we all sat there for a while because I remember that day. That is not true. Those- let's oh, let's, let, let's go. 
<laughs> let's call Keith Cass. Let's phone a friend right we now. We should. I'm gonna we call should. Keith I've Cassidy got his number. Right That'd be amazing. Yes, That'd if, be we, amazing. if we just I called him in right that, now. Uh, so he's older than us, though. He probably won't remember that you, well. You, you, um, you, no, he, Keith but has probably an outstanding memory. Keith really has an outstanding like memory. trap. No, it's he like a, because it's like an Audrey too. No, because he he mentions it. He mentioned it a couple of times after oh, that. Just wow! I love how my friend is just blackie. absolutely like. <laughs> it's such a low win, and you won't even let me have it. It's such a little. <laughs> it's such a minuscule thing, and you won't even. It's like, well, no, you didn't get it right away. I'm like, dude, I did. I no. knew it right away because how many seconds did it take you, Reed? I, mean, I think it I was don't. ten. I Let me guess. Remember. You're going to be like, no, it was two. Thank you, my friend, for not even letting me have <laughs> such a minuscule win. Here I'm expecting to reminisce about our college days. All the wins. Yeah, we isn't can. This we can so, keep going. No, isn't this we so just, fun? And he's what's like, next? no, Reed, Reed's not that cool. Reed didn't do You're that. infinitely cool. No, you're, We're no, here. No, We've no, been no, here clearly, two and a half years. Clearly no, I have a low Reed. self-image and I need to course correct. Let's. You do not need to stay with that man who beats you, Reed. <laughs> You do. You've got. You are worth more than that. Oh okay. Suddenly, <laughs> speaking lackey. of, <laughs> suddenly, lackey is standing beside me. Oh my gosh! That's I need to listen to that. That's that's some catchy tunes. Um, it's great. All right. Great. So come on. We're, we've been going for like an hour already. So okay. Like, all right. We'll get to good, it. Good thing this is a thematically shallow movie, so <laughs> we won't spend a lot of time there. Um, likes, dislikes. Reed, you cannot not smile starting this movie. No. You just like, you turn it on, you just like. Moments. That said, however, shout out Nanny, our, my mother-in-law who lives with us, <laughs> who will occasionally watch movies with me. And I know testy ones. So we watched um, You Were Never Really Here, The Walking Phoenix. This oh, is oh. May, maybe a... Um, Maybe a what you're watching for next week, but here we are. And at the end of it, she was like, "Well, I can't say I liked it." I was like, okay, well, you here? Okay, I don't know how to reply to that. So I know going into going in to tell her, "Hey, I'm going to watch Little Shop of Horrors." Like, do you want to come watch this? She's like, "Okay." I was like, yeah, just yeah. just a heads up. Uh, you know, it's 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 different. It's different. It's singing. It's different. There's people. There's people singing. Read. I checked. I checked the clock. We got 17 minutes in, and she was like, I'm going to go to bed. Oh, it's like, okay. Wow. All right. Wow. There you go. She just so, gave up on the movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, suddenly Nanny <laughs> is walking out the door. Um, oh yeah, you can't, you can't not smile starting this movie unless you're my mother-in-law, in which case you just walk out. Um, that is true. That is true. Uh, Skid Row is great. Oh, not what a great real, song. Not in the real sense, but the song. God, what a, well, this entire soundtrack. I mean, there's not a song on unless this you get the Unless you get the the soundtrack, which is different. Than it's very movie. different. But they're still cool songs. You're still going to enjoy them. Um, but uh, no, Especially at the end when Take My Breath Away comes on. Oh, yeah, it was a weird pivot. That was the other <laughs> Oscar-nated Oscar song. It was Oscar. an odd pivot. <laughs> it's just for Ethan. Um, <laughs> Okay. There are so many layers. Shout out, Ethan. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is probably going to sound a little bit like a backhanded compliment, but I mean it with all my heart. I yeah. love that the set looks like a set. It does not look like a real city. It looks very much like a soundstage. It looks very much like a fabricated set of buildings, but that's part of what I love about it. It feels like a little box, like a like a diorama. Yeah. And, and part of that 
again, is really endearing to me about the movie. Like, you talk about this smiling thing. I, I feel like we're just getting this little window into a somewhat playful set of, of characters and locations and everything, and I just, I, I, I love it. It also heightens that the Greek chorus, you know, the three singers that show up through, you know, yes. throughout the, the piece. Um, Do you notice one of those is Tisha Campbell, who shows up later in Martin... Yes, 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 yes. Martin, and there was, Martin Lawrence sitcom. And there's another, oh my gosh, what is the other one's name? That was on the, um, if I'm saying her name correctly, uh, Tashina Arnold is in the the new and I think relatively popular show that we watch called The Neighborhood with Cedric the Entertainer. And uh, she plays the wife in that. She does fantastic. But yes, the Greek chorus is is, is wonderful. Yeah. yeah absolutely fantastic. Um Another big, big like that I have, it's just a sing- singular moment, but it always makes me cackle out loud, is when Audrey, the real Audrey, finds out that Seymour has named the plant Audrey too, and she gives that little squeak. <laughs> Did you catch that? It's just Probably. This, it's this very high-pitched, like, he's like, Audrey too, and, uh, and she's like, after me? And he goes, well, yeah, and she goes, I, I can't even replicate it. It's like, it's like this Do it. dog Try whistle. It. It's like, Try it. I can't. It's not even that high. It's not even that high. It's like it's it's super. You actually went higher than she did. I no, it's so high. It's what so kind of high. a weirdo practice that, Seymour? I don't know. I think it's some kind of fly trap, but I haven't been able to identify it in any of my books. I gave it my own name, though. I call it an Audrey too. After me. I hope you don't mind. You see, sir, if you were to put a, a strange. Come on. Okay. Now we we've alluded to him multiple times, but we need now. Ellen Green is amazing. I do oh. not want to take anything away from her, but Ellen Green's wonderful. Week's film also includes this actor. Oh my! Friggin' gosh. Rick Moranis. He's brilliant. Where did he go? Oh, he's brilliant. Oh my gosh! Well, he's you, oh. astonishing. Well, you know what, this. You know this. Well, actually, I don't know if you know this. You know why he stopped? Why his well, career stopped? You met him. No, I didn't meet. Yeah, I met him, and it was all he's downhill. In your pocket. Him. It's actually a really sweet. It's actually a really sweet, sweet story. I forget what year it was, but his wife died of cancer. And he actively retired early from the entertainment business to be with his children because his children were young and this then just never went back to it. And when he's been asked before about like, hey, why didn't you once your children grew up and and everything or got older, why didn't you go back into it? And he had this I, I couldn't quote it, but he had some really great things to say about just the nature of creativity is not defined to the entertainment industry and, and all this other sort wow. of and it's it's brilliant. You should yeah, listeners and co hosts, you should look up some on this story because he has I have some, a name. Whatever. Um <laughs> he, has, <laughs> he has some he has some profound Whoa. things to say about that and it again, I I, I already loved That's, him. I, it was yeah, already terribly yeah. endearing. Um, he's a brilliant comedic performer, and then you hear a story like that that, like, yeah, no, without question, he just you know left it to go and be and devote his life to his family, and it's just it's beautiful. Um, and I didn't I didn't look at um, his age at the time of this shooting in '84, but he is so no, this is '86. Yeah, he this is, is '86. So young. He's so young. He looks like a child. Well, he d- see, he does look young, but I think at this point he was like thirty. He's like sixty. No, oh, okay. sixty. No, he's like he's like mid thirties. <laughs> yeah, he's like thirty three because he was born in the fifties. But uh, yeah, he's he's brilliant in this. He is utterly and totally brilliant in this. Fully realized performance. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, great. He's perfect. I mean, the the three primary. Well, I don't. You might say Mushkin or Mushnik. Mushnik. Yes. Is a lead, but great. I would I would count. 
uh, Ellen Green and Moranis and Steve Martin. Those three are friggin' amazing. Oh, now I, I would we can't get too far without <clears throat> mentioning that, like Gremlins, <laughs> I'm really not sure of the optics of the mysterious Chinese man being the vessel for strange and peculiar <laughs> artifacts. Like I just I don't know. I think Chang <laughs> I think I think we should probably kind of give a bit of a moratorium on. Yes. The ancient Chinese secrets being the key to <laughs> to, to all the world's mysteries yes, that exactly. we wasps are unprepared for. You know, <laughs> I just don't. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical! I don't know that that's a really good. But he really sold it to me anyway for a dollar ninety five. So great. Um, I, you you referenced a minute ago Ellen Green's little little vocal delivery there. <laughs> I love the line. When, you know, you've got this, they, they play with the, it's certainly not funny in the real world, but the, the, <laughs> they develop a humorous thread about how Steve Martin treats her. Uh, and yeah, right, 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 right. There's the hysterical moment when I think it's Rick Moranis, I didn't write down, I'm pretty sure it's him. He says, don't tell me you got tied up because she's running late oh, for something. Oh and, my gosh, and she yes. goes, no, just handcuffed a little. <laughs> I mean, it's. It's just one of those throwaway lines, like that line in Bumblebee I referenced to you, which oh, is great. Like yes, one of just those just yes. tiny little blip of a line that is just to me hysterical. It is, it is. The whole script is pretty is pretty great. So but what's interesting about that, uh I praising the script and the script is actually fantastic. It it uh from what I understand with the exception of the dramatically changed ending, which was done because of test screenings, um, the rest of the film mirrors the play almost exactly, um, pretty closely to the major beats and the uh, interior dialogue and everything. But uh, the scene between Steve Martin and Bill Murray, from what I understand, from what yeah. limited research I did, every line of Bill Murray's is improvised. Every single and I line. Think, I think it was like days. Like he, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I've not seen, um, this is uh, getting a little ahead next week, but I've not seen things like, stripes and honestly i've not mm. seen caddyshack i know i'm i've seen I know, caddyshack. I know i know nathan but you're so funny thank you thank you wow um, who's saying yeah. this to you <laughs> hey someone's someone i gotta toot my own horn every now and then get, get you know, better modesty friends be, modesty be damned over here um <laughs> <laughs> so but i do have such a great affection for the person of bill murray mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but i i don't know i mean things like Zombieland, things like Lost in Translation that are more modern, but beyond those, I don't know that I have a ton of a ton of awareness of his early stuff. So just seeing mm. him do what he does is is just astounding. And yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. I feel like this is an easy doorway um, into the marvel that is Steve Martin in this oh, movie. Oh man. Oh my gosh. This is He is like yeah. unhinged and it is amazing. Yeah, he's fully committed. And what's what's funny is that I feel like He's almost too committed. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, keep in mind and I, it's funny, it's Steve Martin is such a cultural figure now and most of I feel like the last 20 to 30 years of his film output, more like the last 15 to 20 years of his film output his characters have thrived on this sort of dry wit and sure, and he's yeah. and he's almost uh something that 
Jason Bateman kind of uh, follows in these shoes a little bit of the 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 perpetually over it guy. Like he's navigating yeah. the scene, but he's just he's completely over whatever is going on in it. And it's really easy with most of Steve Martin's latter filmography being of that nature. And then he's you know he's a published novelist and acclaimed novelist and all these kind of things. And so uh, he has a sort of a regality to him. It's easy to forget that when his career launched, he was the self dubbed wild and crazy guy. Right. And and that most of his comedy stand up. I want so bad to go see he and Martin Short. Oh my gosh, I would love That'd to see. That'd be amazing. That. Oh, that would be, be so amazing. brilliant. But so yeah, it's easy to lose because even in like you mentioned Martin Short, even in films like Three Amigos, where he's in there, he's kind of playing one of the straighter men. Like he's playing sure. more uh, down the middle. And so to see him in a role like this, but again, he excels at this. He thrives at it. He's so so talented at being completely beyond the bounds of any reasonable limits. And he's, again, you're right. It's almost too committed. It's completely and totally devoted, and it is an outstanding performance. It's manically, sadistically brilliant. And it is it is interesting, like, I don't want to be dismissive. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the tone of the film. It's the tone of the performances. They make multiple jokes about domestic violence. Yes, and, they do. And... And somehow it does not drag the tone well, of the film it, down. It's also possible that the psychology around the fact that he gets taken out, you know, like true, he's, true. he's yes. absolutely not a protagonist or hero in this no, film. So no, like no, no. You don't the jokes about no. the domestic abuse, though, you know, if somehow they were trying to redeem that, yes, mm, that'd be right, extremely right, right. problematic, but they don't at all. And, no, and, you know, and, and, and the movie is so, you know, you talked about even the set. It's such a heightened sensibility. Right. I mean, right. just the, the very nature of the kind of Broadway aspect to it. It's already imbued with this kind of elevated sort of, right, right. you know, neon kind of aspect about it. And so, like, it, th- this movie, if a person listening to this show hasn't seen Little Shop of Horrors and, and you know, is wondering why they've just sat through an hour's worth of our idiocy. <laughs> um, just warning, eight weeks more to come. Um, <laughs> like, this movie is worth watching for these three performers alone. Oh, like, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely. so good. Even if you don't, like, like musicals or the age of the movie is an initial turnoff, their performances are so on point. They are. Um, I, I probably should have mentioned this in Trivial Bits, but I just want to mention passing the late great John Candy um yep. as Wink Winkleson and then the um uh the brief cameo appearance by Jim Belushi which would not have been in the film had they not done the reshoots uh the original actor right. uh, was not available for reshoots and so um Jim Belushi stepped in but yeah some great cameos in that but I couldn't agree with you more those performances alone uh carry so much weight to them uh in this in this film they're they're outstanding uh leave- I mean it's pretty cra- it's pretty crazy when Rick Moranis is the straight man of this trio <laughs> right absolutely like that's- yes saying something and uh and and i think he does some outstanding voice work for just this brief period of time that he's in levi stubbs uh one of the lead singers of the doo-wop band the four tops uh well not doo-wop they're more motown than doo-wop but the lead singer one of the lead singers of the four tops uh voices audrey too and delivers an outstanding performance in that role a vocal performance um, I have one scare listed. I don't know how many you have. Do you? Uh, do you want? Well, to go I just first? I want to fire off the last two of my little likes. Oh, sure. I love, I love, 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 because you know this was a Bill Murray thing. 
I love that he has his own spit rag and puts his own gauze in at the dentist. Like yes, yes. it's just it's just these stupid touches like that that are like such elevated comedy. Um, I, oh my gosh! What? No, I just I laugh out loud every single time Steve Martin is there. Say ah, and he goes ah. <laughs> so um, and and you know, let it not be. I feel like I've said this at least once already, if not more than Ellen Green is amazing. Suddenly She's Seymour, you, like, like, because what's interesting about her performance and I've never seen her in anything else. I have nothing to compare it to, but she was in pushing daisies and she's great. Really? She, yeah. Yeah. She was in pushing Daisies. You'd never recognize is her she, unless I point her out. She's not her. one of the, uh, darling mermaid darlings. Is she? Uh, she, yes. Yeah, the, the ants. Yeah. 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 She is. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I Go. do love that series. It's so fantastic. Um, no, I see it now. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yep. But that's her. That's she was her. not the one with the iPad. She was the other one. Uh, yes, I think you're right. Yes. Yep. I would need to look at I love how you just. It. I love how you just affirmed me. with. You're like, uh-huh, that sounds correct. Well, it did. <laughs> you know, right, well, thank I, you. I back but, you but, up, but, unlike you, some I, other people that I know when I try to. Well, <laughs> I'm, I will back up. You're backing me up. So, yes, we, we back each other up. I'll support um, you. You're supporting me. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Feel supported in your support. Um, but it's funny watching this movie. Like, if you don't know her at all, you know, she's got that kind of ditzy kind of vibe about her. But then, goodness, she opens her mouth to sing. And it, oh. she, goodness gracious. Yeah. She kills voice. it. Yeah. I mean, voice. suddenly Seymour alone is just worth the price of admission. Yeah. It's it's a really fantastic song. It's, yeah, it's it's really, really great. <laughs> suddenly like <laughs> Suddenly lucky. <laughs> oh, God, All right, so scares. Um, I wrote down the kids playing Howdy Doody because we've referenced okay. before yes. that Howdy Doody. I used to sit on my grandma's lap and she'd shake my head like I was Howdy Doody. This is yeah. And then when okay. I was when I was a when I was a teenager, my mom gave me a Howdy Doody doll, and I was like, no, <laughs> that's not a, that's not acceptable. But she not was trying to do it as a sweet token of grandma affection. Oh my like, gosh! Nah, not gonna work. That's so funny. Um, well, the uh, I don't know how many of these you have, but I, I have one, and it's 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 legitimate. Like in a film like this, it's hard to to. I love that. I love that you're like j- jumping, jumping. Hey, howdy doody is a legitimate scare. You people are afraid of that <laughs> thing. I love though that you're just like I do have a scare and. And it is legitimate. It's, like it's valid. I just want to get out in front of your asininery, Nathan, <laughs> and claim that please don't make fun of me for what I'm about to say. Because in a film that is so light in tone and making lots of trivial jokes about very dark things, the Suppertime song is legitimately unnerving to me. When Mushnick, uh, the character, of Mush- well, we haven't even expressed the premise of the show uh, of this it's film. All right. so, <laughs> get it. So uh, Seymour, Chinese man. Wow, that's alien not, plant. D- yes, alien plant. Carnivorous that eats people. Um, yep. and a little wayfish Seymour Krellborn finds it and begins to uh, feed it with drops of his own blood, and then uh, he eventually feeds uh, Audrey who is the love of his life, he feeds her boyfriend, her uh, abusive boyfriend, to this plant. And then Mushnick, the store owner, finds out that Seymour has done this. So in the song Supper Time, uh, it, it, this to me, I get genuine chills. Like the Greek chorus is singing like, come on, come on, and Mr. Mushnick is like slowly backing up 
to Audrey yeah. 2 behind him. It's a genuinely creepy shot. Like Audrey 2 like It's legitimate. Yeah, it's it's valid, Nathan. It's valid. <laughs> um but like Audrey 2 like awakens and and is preparing to feast on Mr. Mushnick and it's it's just again in a film that is admittedly in, extremely light in tone it's a genuinely creepy and sort of unsettling uh moment and then so I uh, yes I, I don't think it's a movie light in tone but wow I know what you're saying no I mean really I, I'm I think it's I think it's got a darkness it's well, yes, of course dark. it's dark, but darkness it, is spreading. But it, well, I'm not talking about its themes. Its <laughs> themes are dark, but its tone is light. That's my point. It's mm, it oh. is it is easily digestible. It's like yeah, suddenly <laughs> like <laughs> that's how you're gonna pivot away when we're yeah, when it's yeah, yeah. when the moment's just gone too long. You're just gonna uh. you're just gonna just, <laughs> <laughs> just bust out suddenly lackey and send us into the yes i hope Um, that survives a couple months on the show so um um, at least next week i'm sure um yeah so wait i'm not done well i I, didn't say any scares except howdy doody i figured you suddenly lackeyed me so and you well yeah yeah, and you howdy dootied me too and so (laughs) it's howdy doody time Uh -uh. um the montage of seymour feeding audrey too is gross yes it is you know, this plant just sucking on his finger. Oh That's disgusting. It's awful. Um, and I love that they really lean in. Well, I don't love it because it is unnerving. They really lean into people's discomfort with dentists and dentistry. Yes, like, they do. Yes, it is super maximized. The, uh, those inside the mouth shots are disgusting. <laughs> like that. Oh, I don't. I don't have like a super weak stomach, but like. You go inside somebody's mouth and have a camera out of it with like instruments. Yes, <laughs> and I'm just and I'm just like, wow. I think that's meant to be unnerving. Yes, I will. Say, well, it works. It's I should, legitimate. I should say that in a in a film just completely chuck full of chuck one, full, chuck full, chock full of chock wonderful full. of wonderful wonderful songs. Dentist. Might be my favorite. Dentist is Go be a dentist. Oh my gosh, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. So, yes, I love it. Um, Do you want to try to dive down the, you know... What? Dive down the gullet of... (laughs) Suddenly like... The uh, Yes, we're just going to charge right through, right through. You want to get into a little bit of theme? Um, So... It's, oh, do I get to answer the question? No. Oh, no, okay. No, you Clearly. don't. This is suddenly Clearly. lackey. So, um, okay. yes. <laughs> so, goodness gracious. But it's funny because we're making lots of. Uh, it, it, it's admittedly a a comedy, a musical comedy, but as we've alluded to, it's got a lot of dark edges to it, and it's got some dark themes. In fact, uh, the stage play having the ending that it does, and. Frank Oz in his conversations about not getting to do that actual ending where the plants win, he feels like it's very thematically unsatisfying because here you have a story that admittedly as likable and as initially innocent as he is, you have a character who uh, actively disposes of people to uh, a man-eating plant and then kind of gets away with it kind of gets off scot-free and there are no substantive consequences to the choices that he makes um, at least in the theatrical version of the film now I admit it's it's tough to swallow thinking 
of <laughs> <laughs> um thinking of Audrey and Seymour being devoured that's a that's a difficult thing to to think about um so that's kind of tough but i it it's complicated the themes of this i think are complicated there's a line in feed me in the song feed me where audrey too awakens and identifies to seymour like hey you you got to give me some you got to give me some food here um that he has a line where he says a lot of folks deserve to die and i just it's again it's so complex because what this thing wants it promises Seymour so much and it begs to be fed but the moral and spiritual cost is tremendous the potential uh, moral and spiritual cost Um, and then again it gets even more complicated by the fact that the first victim is Steve Martin's character Oren which is this abusive self-centered you know, sociopath um, that is just absolutely, I mean, he, he does deserve a comeuppance of sorts. Um, and it's worth noting that Seymour's character does not actually kill him. Um, he winds up sort of accidentally killing himself, and then Seymour just chops up the body and feeds it to Audrey too. But um, it's still, it's, it, it is an incredibly interesting and complex thing to me to think about the ways in which we will self-justify certain behaviors that we know. And we talked about this a little bit last week on our uh, when we were discussing Stephen King's short story, Morality, where the things that you will justify for whatever ultimate ends or whatever ultimate purposes you may be after and justifying some pretty heinous and hideous things. Um, and again, it's just that line uh, sends a little a little shiver uh, down my spine. The whole a lot of folks deserve to die. It's just so cold and so calculated, and in the context of this film, so convincing. And that's what I find frightening about it. And uh, did, you mean, did you mean to be alliterative there? Did I did not. Mean? I did not. That was just a happy accident. But yeah, it, it, it's there. The kind. It's there, and I won't change it. So well, uh, I want to you know kind of plug in on the thing that you're at there with. Something that kind of, I'm going to support you. Oh, uh, I, I appreciate that. That hasn't happened here. a lot this episode, so I'm glad to I'm glad to know it's coming now. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> that's that's cold, Reed. Suddenly, like <laughs> oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you're talking about what we will do. Re. Uh, Put put in a nutshell again the theme you just drew out. I, I got the idea. I need I need the words. Sure, the ways in which we would justify uh, hideous and heinous things by the ultimate ends okay. and aims yes. that we're after. Yeah. Yes, and I think the things we justify paired with our view of self are what result in those negative ends. Mm. In other words, what I wrote down is just this pervasive oppressive theme of low self-image and what it what it resigns audrey and seymour to yeah yeah like absolutely you know whether it's audrey for whatever reason you know we're we're not given really any backstory on her that i can recall but no um you know she's convinced she has to stick with the dentist steve martin the abusive character 
who it's not even a secret. You know, I mean, like I think her first time on screen is when she has the black eye. Yeah, um, that's the first time we see her. Yeah, and so you couple that with Seymour's drumbeat of Mushnick took me in when I was an orphan. Mm-hmm. He pulled me out of the orphanage to sweep floors and clean toilets and have every other Sunday off. Right, and he right. he views that as like a life well lived. Yeah, because he like says. When, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the line yeah, yeah. the line says treats me like dirt and calls me a slob, which I am. That's the line in the song. Wow, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think when we're just going to go from the shallows down into the the Marianas Trench here, it's, but like it's what we do when you buy the lie that you are low mm. and you are unlovable. That's right, Nathan. And you are that that even the crumbs are all your all that you are merited mm. all are all that you deserve you can be convinced to do some pretty terrible things yes whether whether yes. it's feed people to other monsters or shackle yourself to your own monster like mm. oh my gosh yes just keep <laughs> keep backing me up you, um uh, but no i mean like it's there like that's no, all me. this yeah. movie is yeah. is it's like when, but I think, and and the unfortunate thing about this movie, about this story, now you could make a case that Seymour and and Audrey kind of find each other and thus sort of pull each other out. But there's so much they've dredged themselves through, yeah, to to kind of get there. It's almost a non-victory. Now, well, and we they- celebrate that they find each other and sort of that happens go ahead what? right no i was just gonna say the, the original if we're discussing the theme of the movie the original ending can't be ignored because it was changed exclusively for sure, the sure. test audiences and in the original ending it is their ultimate undoing they never escape right. it they find yeah. each other and for a moment and a pocket have a glimpse of happiness but they never escape it as a result and uh yeah i mean there are so oh my gosh it just popped in my head like read there are so many schools of theology that we could name right here mm-hmm. about you being low and nothing mm. and mm-hmm. you know the lowest the the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is that in your nothingness god in his greatness elevates you to greatness mm. which hear me buried somewhere in there is a grain of decent theology but the way it presents itself pop culturally in our churches pop culturally is of you are nothing Right. Thank God for God. Mm-hmm. And and because when you can convince people they are nothing, you can also convince them to do some pretty terrible things. That is so true and frighteningly true. And it's easy at that point. You don't have any value. You don't recognize your value. And it's like talking out of both sides of our mouths to try to affirm the sort of wretchedness on one hand and then on the other hand, try to convince us of God's love towards us. And what has struck me about the ways in which that's been expressed before is what, I, what I've termed before the, the, the pitiful affection, as if God's affection towards us were something bridled by petty uh, pity, where again, I didn't mean sure. to be illiterate, but the but the fact of you know he's You're just so good at it. That's, I, I am I'm pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> but the fact that he would look down 
And just, again, just uh, when we hear the text, like, for God so loved the world, it does not resonate in our hearts as an unbridled, rabid affection for us. Instead, there's a lot of language that frames it towards, like, oh, thank heaven that he took pity on this this lowly me instead of recognizing like no the 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 issue of the sin in your heart or in your life i i think i've referenced this on the show before i forget who the theologian was who originated this idea but it has it was real paradigm shifting for me when i heard expressed a a theological postulate that what sin does um, is actually changes our understanding of God's view towards us. That it doesn't change how God sees us, but it changes what we believe about how God sees us. And in that context, you look at like the Garden of Eden, and when they ate the fruit and disobeyed God, it says their eyes were opened. And so their in in basic layman's terms, their perspective shifted. And again, it has been real paradigm shifting for me to recognize that, because again, I've said before, I believe in sin, I believe in its effects, but I really, as, as a substantial part of my theological framework, I deeply believe God has never, from the beginning of time until whenever it may come to an end, uh, God has never viewed me any differently, that his affection for me has never lessened, dwindled, altered, nothing of that nature. But what the lens of, uh, I love the way you framed it, when we buy the lie, when we believe the lie that we are low, we are worthless, we are saturated by this um, downtown skid row smut, that when we buy that, then it alters our perception of what is possible for God to do in our lives and what is possible for God to feel towards us. It turns the cross, which was uh, an, an, an ultimate, in my view, an ultimate expression of redemptive affection, among countless other things, uh, cosmic and natural, it turns that into this base kind of uh, fundamental pity grab, again, where it's just like, well, there's, I'm going to take pity on each and every one of you and just sort of write you back to center instead of the story which the scriptures lay out for us about the Lord who, uh, according to the scriptures, used to walk with us in the cool of the day and then emptied himself to make sure that would happen again. And we do. We lose sight of that when we buy into the lie, when we believe the low self-worth conversations. And, yeah, my theme, the reason I was so affirming to you earlier is because, A, you're correct. B, <laughs> my my themes were so temporarily focused on Audrey, too, that when you pointed out this, like, no, take a look at Seymour and Audrey and how degraded they are when we first meet them and what that degradation in their life does to them and to their choices, it's powerful. I mean, this is a, a lighthearted well, campy film, but it's powerful. I, I, I personally had a pretty radical theology shift a number of years ago that kind of guides a lot of my, how I process um, faith and the world and people. And a lot of that is tethered to, this notion of 
whether you view the garden story as literal or metaphor, it kind of doesn't matter because the point is the same. And that is the source point of existence and relationship is born of goodness and connection and whole mm. and peace and graciousness and deference and submission one to the other mm. like that is the origin it is not there are those who would push at this and i'm okay with that but i have i guess what i'm saying for me personally uh <laughs> what was what were you saying about an hour ago at this point like you were <laughs> oh you're you're a comedian like that's that's a, a read thing so this is a nathan thing okay <laughs> uh for me personally to me, the life of faith is not, oh, you lowly sinner, spend the rest of your life crawling towards a great God. Mm. To me, the life of faith is in goodness, wholeness, relationship, you were founded, you were birthed, you were conceived in thought, if not in flesh. Mm. Life is going to be a sequence of obstacles to return to that level of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Mm and that and this distinction there matters because if you're audrey or seymour what i would illustrate here is they have they have convinced themselves through the imposing of others upon them that from sin they were born mm. and life is but merely crumbs until hopefully greatness right 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 like right. and and there's such a dramatic difference in the life you live in the way you love people, mm. the way you view yourself that is radically altered by the idea that by your very creation, are you loved? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Your very um, existence. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, I didn't mean to, well, I guess I did go mean to go deep there, but you know, like, I don't know the, it's, it's hilarious to me that looking at my themes which is literally i just wrote low self-image and then audrey mm, and seymour mm, <laughs> yeah like that's all i wrote right but right. the you know I, I do think that's very much there because of what these characters convince themselves of about themselves mm -hmm. and what that and what having convinced themselves of that then causes them to do right you know? right no I, I i mean i couldn't agree more i um i feel this this may feel odd but like i i feel pretty satisfied with the conversation i feel like yes. that's <laughs> i mean because it is it's it's all right there this film may on the surface appear to be poppy and and appear to be somewhat uh, just trivial again it's a it's a musical so musicals can sometimes tend to have if they if they are comedy musicals uh can sometimes tend to be written off thematically but uh but i think there is a lot here in terms of that and particularly for the walk of a believer uh really examine i know even from this brief conversation it's imperative to me to examine the ways in which i have convinced myself of my low station and how that low station can drive me to distance myself further from god rather than draw myself rather than feel his drawing towards me in his affection for me and in his and, desire for me. I'm so sorry to cut you off. No. But like Reed, this is staring right at us and it would be, we would be remiss as yeah, yeah. hosts of this show. If we did not acknowledge this last week on, 
Uncle Stevie shorts of the man in the black suit, yeah. you have this very mm. astute description of the nature as you perceive it of kind of sin in the world and that right. is as consumptive as yes. feed as hunger as Seymour. feeding yes. as as consuming all in its path but take that paradigm and apply it to this which is <laughs> if you convince yourself of the lowliest of low nature that you may think you possess all you're doing is pushing everyone else into that consumption oh my gosh yes you're right Right, you're absolutely right. Like you're absolutely right. Like you are, we and and we are barreling towards, you know, botanical annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's and that again, that's the thing is, I love that we have a version of the film. It's the main version of the film, the sort of primary theatrical version. I love that we have a version of the film where things end happily for Audrey and Seymour. But there's a power to that other vision where it's like not only are they pushing others towards that consumptive force, but are headed there themselves. And yeah, it is, it's thematically very but powerful. Even, but even then, like you, you are correct that the, the different endings merit a certain take, but even, even the theatrical ending leaves the note of the Audrey two plant still there. Still like there. They yeah, have not, right. yeah, they have right. not escaped. Yes. Yes. You're right. Place they've convinced themselves they were in. Yeah. You know? No, you're anyway. right. No, you're right. And who, who knew? Little Shop of I Horrors, didn't. man. I didn't. Like, little Shop. Little Shop of Lackeys. Oh. <laughs> it happened in Ooh, real time. It that did. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was amazing. <laughs> Read, funny or die. It took us like two years to get here, and here uh, we are. It was worth the wait, man. I, I'm so, so delightfully happy that we're here. You want to take Why don't you... Why, why don't you? Oh yeah, we got to do the whole thing. Yeah, um, you want to do yeah, the fog meter? The yeah, fog yeah, meter. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, we measure these movies on a basis of uh, 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 fear and of God on a metric of one to ten. On fear, read. I will say for Little Shop of Horrors, I do think there's kind of an existentiality to it. Existentiality, existentialness, mm. mm-hmm. ex, 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 existence. Stage right, exit stage right. <laughs> um, you know, um, <laughs> exit pursued by a bear. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give a five to Little Shop of Horrors on fear. I think, I mean, like, we just, like, bro. Yeah, bro. We we didn't, (laughs) there are are times, you like how I can't even finish the sentence. There are times when we pull themes out of the rear end of the movie. It's like, "Ah, here's a little corner case out of this movie and let's explode it and have a good conversation. Yes. Like, this is layered in there. No, it's absolutely there. And it's scary as hell. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm going to give it a five as well for for the fear factor. I think you've convinced me. It's not a nightmarish movie, but it definitely has something there to uh, to warrant some some dread and some some thought provoking unnerving, if you will. Um, I'm a lean heavy on substance, brother. Uh, I'm I'm gonna throw the gauntlet down. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna give Little Shop of Horrors a nine for substance. Whoa! Giving it a nine for substance. This is because here's the thing, man. Like it's, it, it is like you've said, and like is fairly pointed out. Occasionally, we will latch on to a line or a specific little subset of a film. This one is like, like I almost feel like if we talked, we're not going to, but I almost feel like if we talked for another half hour, we would find more ways in which these things we're unpacking are layered into the characters and their choices and the overall narrative of the film. So I definitely think it's there in ways that it probably doesn't get any credit for. So yeah, I, I'm throwing the gauntlet down. I'm giving it a nine. 
I am not going to disagree with your nine. I am not quite there, if only because I do think the thickest version of what we're describing does lie in the original ending. Yes. But in the spirit of that, um, I will give it a suddenly seven. Suddenly seven. That's beautiful. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) That never gets old. Oh, my gosh. I mean, to you and I, the listeners are like, (laughs) Oh Man. my God! How did you get two hours out of Little Shop of Horrors? <laughs> so um, that means Nanny couldn't make it seventeen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> how did we make it two hours? Um, so uh, that means we give Little Shop of Horrors on the fog meter. Uh, we give it six and a half out of ten. That's a a, a solid showing. It's a, a suddenly solid showing, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly stupid. <laughs> So, uh, I think listeners will be able to tell the answer to this next question. Uh, Would you recommend Little Shop of Horrors? I do, because honestly, I don't historically even love musicals, but there's just something fun. I mean, the the performances are fantastic. The songs, whether you like musicals or not, are catchy. Absolutely, Um, The production style is, is pretty... I don't even know how you describe it, but, you know, heightened, elevated. It is Broadway esque. Yes. I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot to appreciate. Um, and I, I will join you. I will give it a wholehearted and enthusiastic recommendation. Uh, I love this film. I think with this recent reviewing, I, it only solidified for me that I do not think I will ever tire of revisiting this film. Um, we've mentioned the alternate ending several times. I think I mentioned this in passing, but just if listeners are curious, there is a director's cut Blu-ray that is readily available, I think for a reasonable price, like 15 bucks or something. The director's cut Blu-ray of this film has both endings. You can watch it seamlessly as the director's cut, or you could watch the original theatrical version. So, uh, I yes, seek it out uh, in whatever form you choose to, and uh, yes, we wholeheartedly recommend yeah. it. Riri, why don't you, um, so we're resolving Funny or Die Part 1. Why don't you tell Here them who is. we're going to call next week? So, oh my gosh, that was great. Well, I think you just did, because... What are you ne- talking about? Because <laughs> next week, brother. The Ghost Beaters? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's... That brilliant and listeners won't appreciate how brilliant nope. that is. That is you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much mm-hmm. for that. So yes, next week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and if you're watching Ash versus Evil Dead with us, then you'll understand Nathan's reference there. But next week we are going to uh, tag back in on the next three episodes of Ash versus Evil Dead, and we will be having an extended conversation about Ivan Reitman's classic film from 1984. Who you gonna call? None other than the Ghostbusters. So check out the original 1984 Ghostbusters. The real Ghostbusters, if you will. <laughs> no, don't watch the cartoon because we won't be talking well, right, about right, that. Right, right, yeah, Do yeah, watch yeah, the cartoon, yeah. but not for our episode. Um, right, right, right. So, Just on your own time. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much. Uh, I'm so excited that we're in this series. Yeah. This is going to be a fun summer. We're really looking forward to it. Suddenly <laughs> lucky. On that note, we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. Till forever, tell me the bad times are clean washed away. Please understand that it's still strange and frightening. Losers like I've been, it's so hard to say. Suddenly, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways on Twitter at The Fear of God on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. Follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey and Nathan at 
the Nathan Rouse. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.